Greetings, gentle listeners. If you enjoy this podcast, you may also like Brosé, a mirthy talk show starring four bros who sip wine and consider questions submitted by you, the audience, about current events, pop culture, and which Muppet you should get tattooed on your back. Subscribe to Brosé wherever you get your podcasts. That's B-R-O-S-E. Brosé, the podcast for those who drink rosé. What does the Sovereign Citizen Movement have to do with giant hogweed? Is today the day for the bidet in the USA? You know how to spread COVID, don't you? You just pucker your lips and blow. Hot enough for you? What do we want? Flags! When do we want them? Flags! The answers to these questions, plus sports, emotional weather, and state up, that's tonight on Person in Person. Good evening, wherever you are, whoever you are, and welcome to Person in Person. I'm Gene Person. And I'm Greg Person. No relation. Person in Person is a news show for people who don't like news shows by people who do not like news shows. Fresh off the Memorial uh, weekend holiday, saw some dinosaurs, saw a lot of a particularly noxious weed that we'll be discussing. So, fun times. Yeah, it went straight from pleasant springtime weather to hot as balls instantly, and I am not a fan. Yeah, so we got an Airbnb, and um, I'm not sure whether the AC was broken or my parents kept secretly turning it off. But sometimes at night, it was it was pushing into like really uncomfortable temperatures. Yeah, I hate summer. It's, you know, I know I just said a couple months ago that spring was my least favorite season, but actually it's summer. <laughs> you know, if I wanted to live in Arizona, I'd live in Arizona. Let's do something about global warming already. Oh, uh, well, to that end, I've invented a time machine. Um, so we're going to go back to the uh, to the days of the coal barons, and we're going to put them against the wall. Great. And... Uh, yeah, so that's going to be uh, look out for our new podcast, uh, Time Adventures with Gene and Greg. <laughs> All right, uh, enough banter. Let's uh, get into tonight's story beats. A woman in Minnesota broke into a stranger's car to strip down and masturbate vigorously. Uh, police say she babbled nonsense and continued to masturbate while they tried to coax her out without touching her for over an hour. Meth is a demonic possession that you pay for. Wow. Yeah. The Oklahoma State Senate has passed a bill that renames a section of highway in the state after former steak vendor Donald J. Trump. This is just the latest in a string of monument renamings by Oklahoma, who last month added the Kevin Sorbo Parkway, Glen Beck Plaza, and the Papa John Slattery is not really that racist interpretive trail. You know, the saddest thing about... Uh, the Trump administration is that I only found out about the stakes after they were no longer available. Sure, sure. That is the truly big, the greatest tragedy of his whole presidency. It's a big mistake, is what it is. It is. I. It is a mistake. Yes, indeed. Yep. Exactly. Uh, speaking of, a recent poll shows that the majority of Republicans believe that the 2020 election was stolen, and 23 percent of Republicans believe in QAnon. 
Uh, the other 77% can't figure out how to log into Facebook. Now, for, uh, for context, of the people they surveyed, 15% of the Americans they surveyed, which is the same percentage of people who identify as Baptist, the largest American Protestant denomination, uh, hmm. believed in QAnon. So QAnon is one of America's largest religions now. Welcome to hell. Yeah. Great. The state of Illinois recently featured in our State Up segment has passed a law prohibiting police from lying to suspects who are minors. Aimed at curbing the disturbing practice of soliciting false confessions, the law falls short of making police tell the truth to adult offenders. When asked that if they would enforce the new law, one state police officer was quoted as saying, Oh yeah, absolutely. Wink. <laughs> An Italian artist... Salvatore Garau sold an invisible sculpture for 15,000 euros and it's not even his first one. Now to clarify, the sculpture is it both invisible and intangible because it does not in the strictest sense exist. Okay. Spanish art restorers say it's their greatest challenge well, yet. All they got to do is make a statue. They could pile a bunch of forks together and and, and they've ruined it. That's true. Well, you know, the funny thing about this, actually, because I do know some background on this because I, I did some more research on it, is, okay, there's not there's nothing there, but there's a display area, a, a pedestal that you display in an area and the lighting and the humidity are, are dictated by the, <laughs> by, I don't want to call him the artist, but... <laughs> right. but by the guy who did the thing by the world's crappiest or, dictator <laughs> right so and you get a certificate that says that you own the invisible sculpture great great wonderful a new study of over 8300 people asked to rate their own abilities at spotting so-called fake news found that about 75 percent of them overestimated their own ability, often by a margin of as much as 22 percentile points higher than their actual score, and about 20% of them by over 50 percentile points. Perhaps even more devastatingly, 100% of these foolish, misguided participants believe in the existence of the moon. You think that's a moon up there? Oh yeah, nature gives us night lights. Wake up, you fucking sheep! My eyes are fucking open! It's not the moon, it's the peephole through which they keep tabs on us, and anyone who says otherwise is either a fucking idiot or a co-conspirator. In 1969, we landed on the moon, right? <laughs> Ask Stanley Kubrick, that's when we went through the hole, and the astronauts got new instructions and suddenly technology started growing by leaps and bounds. You think you know the truth, you sad, sorry little mind twerp? You don't even know the half of it. But I'm ready. I'm ready for the coming revolution. We're going to stop the whole people, and we're going to plug that fucking hole right up. You want to understand? Do your own research. It's all over YouTube. You know what? Fuck it. This bit has gone on long enough. <laughs> mind twerps was good. I enjoyed mind twerps a great deal. Well, good. Good. <laughs> all right. Enough about the news. It's main news. All right. Well, first of all, I want to tell you all, and this uh, dovetails nicely with where our minds have been so far this episode. Uh, the sovereign citizen movement is what I want to talk about tonight. If you're not familiar with this, this was uh, a thing. I don't know when it started, and it feels like 
it's been largely swallowed by QAnon, which QAnon has sort of eaten all the other right-wing conspiracies. Yeah, you don't and incorporated them into itself. You don't hear much about sovereign citizens anymore. Their their various conflicts with the government. But all this QAnon shit just makes me long for the days when right-wing psychos just didn't want to pay child support. Or taxes, uh, or any of that. Yeah. Right, right. And if, if you're not familiar with these guys from back in the day, basically, they believe that if they can get a certain sequence of magic legalese words printed in a newspaper, <laughs> they're no longer subject to the laws of any country. And it's always, almost always through the ownership of their land. Yes, and, and themselves as legal persons. Because, see, the person that is on your birth certificate is actually a corporation mm -hmm. that was created by the United States government in the person of the Federal Reserve to steal the gold bullion, which is... And, and see, that's the thing is, like, there's so much to say about this as a conspiracy theory. I highly encourage our listeners, if you aren't familiar with the sovereign citizen movement uh do look it up um because it is a a deep rich rabbit hole mm -hmm. um they also uh dabbled in terrorism um mostly uh mostly child support based terrorism sure <laughs> but um you know gene and i when we worked at the newspaper we used to see these people quite a lot or at least i did i think you did as well didn't you gene? Well, when i was on the front line yeah absolutely yeah, I would say about once a month we would have a sovereign citizen come in and want to place one of their sovereign citizen notices mm -hmm. so that they could be free of all debts, public and private. And uh, we would have to explain to them that this has no actual authority. It will not be recognized by any governing body. We could take this money, but since it wouldn't be doing anything for you, we would basically be stealing. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the ones that I met, nobody was ever hostile. They just seemed kind of hurt and confused. But what, did, what does that have to do with giant hogweed? Well, let's talk about giant hogweed because I had a holiday weekend on the Oregon coast and I saw a lot of the stuff. For those unfamiliar, giant hogweed is an invasive species of, of plant that can now be found in Oregon, Washington, and even British Columbia. And uh, though easy to spot, is particularly dangerous. Giant hogweed looks like less harmful plants like wild carrot and cow parsnip with a bloom of white flowers on top of a thick stalk, but it grows much larger than either of the aforementioned plants, sometimes as tall as 14 feet. Giant hogweed can be easily spotted by its size and the reddish purplish dots that cover the surface of its stalk. The plant originates in the Caucasus region of Eurasia and is thought to have been brought to the Pacific Northwest by birds carrying seeds. What makes giant hogweed so dangerous is it's not is not its invasive nature, however, but the fact that every part of it exudes a sap. Originally evolved as a defense against insects, this sap, when touched by a human, cancels out the skin's natural ability to protect itself from the sun. The photosensitivity of the plant occurs within 15 minutes of contact and peaks at around 30 minutes after the contact. The sunburns caused by this effect are especially gnarly, often producing giant, very painful blisters and scar tissue. What's most alarming about giant hogweed is how little of the population knows about it. So I'm doing my part here, spreading the word. 
I'd known about this dangerous plant for several years, but apparently my dad, who is far more of a consummate outdoorsman than I am, had never heard of it. If you get a chance, look up giant hogweed online. A search is sure to show you what the plant looks like so you can spot it and what the burn's like because this is quite a bit more serious than your average poison oak rash. You know, I'm really surprised to hear that uh, your dad had never heard of it because particularly on the coast, I feel like you see it everywhere. Oh yeah, especially up in, you know, sort of the, one, once you start getting into sort of the Curry County area. Yeah. Yeah, I've had uh, incidental contact with giant hogweed before. It's not, I, you know, I wasn't going around picking it. I just happened to touch some. Mm-hmm. And the just the few spots that I had touched that were exposed to the sun, like I'd rather be burned with a curling iron. Right. Like it is, it is incredibly painful. It's, it's bad news. And so like you're supposed to report it if you see it. But I, I sent an email because <laughs> it was just like the coast <laughs> because it's right. all over the place. I don't think there's any way they're so, going to curb it at this point. Send those emails to www.hogweed.biz. <laughs> They'll get right on that. But so how do we connect those two things? I mean, yes, things that are pernicious, things that are noxious. Yeah, sure. That feels too easy. It does. Uh, it does. Both involve saps. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> that's very good. That's very. I mean, that is. I mean, it may be pun prison worthy, but it is very good. And and I'm certainly not going to report it. I might send an email. Um, send that email to punjail.edu.de.sex.biz.gov.org. Um, so. So there's that. There's there's um, the obvious connections. I want to talk about what happens after you make contact with this bad part of the plant, the sap. Because something that was previously a normal thing that you have protection against, the sunlight, suddenly becomes extremely hostile and burns you pretty hard. I think... The same thing could be said about the laws of the United States and, and, you know, the government. Well, I mean, I guess not so much anymore. Nowadays, when people declare sovereign citizen status, the government's just like, okay. But, but I mean, this has led to some particularly dangerous confrontations in the past. So the, so the ATF is like the hogweed sap, where you don't even know it's there. But you rub up against it a little too close and you get burned. No, I think the ATF is the sunlight. Okay, so the the right wing paranoia is the sap. Yeah, the sap is and then, Yeah, the sap is the you know, the the draining of, of rational thought that, that comes with, you know, swallowing the the red pill or whatever. Now the only trouble that I have with this analogy is that the sun in, in this analogy, the sun is, for most of us, uh, benign or beneficial. That's a fair point. Whereas... That's a fair point. Yeah, I feel like if, I, if you know... I don't know that that's true, though, because the, the sun, while it can be beneficial, it does provide us with warmth that keeps us alive, and it, it helps fuel the, the plants that we eat and things like that. Um, it's also very dangerous, like, 
all this all this sap actually does is amplify that danger. Because we're already being bombarded with radiation from this thing that we all think is benign and beneficial. But ask anyone who's had skin cancer, not so benign, not so beneficial. Yeah, but if we were going to make a pros and cons list for the sun, I, I feel like on balance, the sun does more good. Well, than right. Harm. Considering we can't live without it. That's a good point. We can't live without water either, but people do drown in the water, but I definitely wouldn't give up water. So fair point. But um, I will say that the the idea of coming into contact with something that seems harmless at first and then over time uh, you realize that it's done you some crazy harm. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like that's a good a good analogy for conspiracy theories and for the internet in general. Yeah, I mean, I, that is absolutely true. And and maybe maybe it's the idea that's the hogweed. These these silly ideas that propagate and they're everywhere. You can't knock them all down. Who are you gonna Who are you gonna email about it? How many emails are you gonna send? You're playing a game of whack a mole. I love whack a mole. My gosh, I wish I had some avocados. I would make such a whack a mole right now. You know, we we did the vegetarian uh, Green Chef uh, subscription box. We're not being paid by them, but I'm really enjoying the service. So I'll mention it. Um, They're welcome to pay us. We only had uh, so far one issue in one of the recent boxes. We got a a little deal of of whack-a-mole was uh cut open and leaked avocado all over the place <laughs> it had turned brown in shipping oh bummer it's okay it didn't get on any fresh veggies or anything like that and uh we have plenty of whack-a-mole in that fridge so we're in good shape awesome well you know that for me is one of the hardest parts of avocados because just by myself, I might not want the whole avocado, but as soon as I cut it open, as soon as I break that skin, that avocado's on a clock. Right. So For me, the hardest part of avocado is the pit. Because it? <laughs> it's pretty Okay, true. It's pretty hard. Correct. You're not... You're not... <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but what is what does any of this have to do with sovereign citizens and hogweed? Are we, are we any closer? Do you think we figured it out? I... I don't know that we need to look beyond the easy solution here. I just think that this week it worked out that we each picked something that was tied by an extremely superficial bond, but is a, is a really strong, you know, pairing in, in that modern conservative conservatism is this same pernicious, noxious weed that springs up everywhere and you can't knock it down. And there's nobody you can report it to because nobody cares. And even if they did, they would have no power to do anything about it. Right. Right. And that that is a perfect uh, description of the liberals. So there you go. God bless America. Well, not until the uh, podcast shopping network segment. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to that. Yeah. All right. On to breaking news. The COVID pandemic has made us question a lot of our past practices, like shaking hands, touching our face, and even the way some of us washed our hands. One particularly dangerous but commonplace practice was the blowing out of birthday candles. Like, for real, we just lit a fire on top of food that everyone is expected to eat and asked someone to extinguish it with their mouth, knowing full well that there's gonna be some saliva on that icing by the time all is said and done. One Virginia father, however, 
enjoys the practice but wanted to perpetuate it safely. So he spent his downtime during the pandemic working on an invention that allows the birthday boy or girl or non-binary to blow out the candles without putting others at risk. Dubbed the Blowsy, you might not th- you might think this would be a potential candidate for the podcast shopping network, but in this case, if people are already going to be doing the stupid thing, I think it's a good idea to invent something to at least help prevent them from hurting others. Children blow into a fully enclosed tube. A sensor in the tube detects the strength of the airflow and spins a fan on the other side of the tube at the same airspeed. This prevents the air from the child's lungs from getting anywhere outside the tube, but blows out the candles just fine. All indications are that the device is a big hit with kids too. So happy birthday, America. At this time, I'd like to remind our listeners that the song Happy Birthday to You is actually in the public domain thanks to a federal court ruling in 2016. So you don't know Warner Music any money if you sing it. Also a reminder that we really, really need to change intellectual property law in this country. The life of the creator is the longest any copyright should remain in place. Greg? I thought this was an absolutely wild product, but it is not wilder than the practice of blowing out birthday candles. No, and that's the thing, is it's so gross. Hey, this is actually a pretty good solution. It's like... If you, you change some of the variables a little bit, if you made a lasagna and you gave it to a small child and was like, could you spit on this for me? Right. Makes no goddamn sense. None. But um, speaking of things that uh, make no sense, which is really just kind of the theme of our show. So that's kind of a weak segue because that's every week. Right. And also, this is a story about how uh, barbaric life in America really is, which is also one of the major themes of our show Mm -hmm. now our tims in the more enlightened parts of the world may not realize it i mean they've heard about the mass shootings the fascist conspiracy cults the naked chicken chalupa Mm -hmm. but did you all know we don't even wash our asses like not really not regularly we don't i mean we wash them in the shower but we don't have bidets right in fact americans hate bidets They think they're effete or disgusting or weird or something. So, you know, there's not even a bidet to use if you want to. I've only ever had the opportunity to use a bidet once. And I gotta say, it was delightful. Hmm. But the thing is, times are changing these days. Uh, Rather than installing a separate appliance, as uh, folks used to do in Europe, or shelling out for one of those uh, sophisticated Japanese toilets with all the bells and whistles and things... Um, Americans are opting for these little uh, attachments um, that you can hook onto your standard toilet that have the spouts and the higher end ones even have temperature control and adjustable angles and drying air jets and they only cost about even the high end ones now mind you cost at most about 20 chalupas Hmm. so if you spent that chalupa money you've been saving up and I know you are because this is America you take that chalupa money and spend it on a bidet instead, your ass will actually thank you. And then the next chalupa money you come across, you spend on the chalupa. And then after that's gone right through your system, you clean your ass with the bidet. Well, exactly. See, that's the thing. Of all the countries that most need to wash our asses, you know, we're the ones that are most resistant to it. And it just, it makes me sad, but... I think Australians you know, change... might need bidets too, because uh, they're all, oh. they're always saying bidet mate. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that is what they say, isn't it? Yep. They're like, oh, bidet, mate. Yep. Put another shrimp on the barbie. 
We just lost Australia. That's fine. We had we actually did have a couple listeners in Australia, didn't we? Yeah, at one point, uh, not recently. I think it, it oddly we keep getting hits from the UK. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if they're just gluttons for punishment, but there's they that. know what they are. You know what you are, you dirty piggies. <laughs> right. Let's move on to sports. So uh, this is not strictly speaking a sport that I picked, but, uh, you know, we had a, an abbreviated week. So this is what I have to offer. This weekend at the coast, I played Uno for the first time in probably 20 years or so. Easy enough to pick up. Much fun was had by everyone playing, at least on a superficial level. This is a fairly universally known game, and I'm not going to get into the rules here. I just want to say this. If you're playing Uno by a set of rules, whether they're the actual rules or a custom version, it is always best to communicate those rules clearly before play commences so that no one gets accused of cheating or, say, throws a tantrum in the middle of play. It should also be noted that while age ranges on the box are solid recommendations, you can involve toddlers in play, albeit sometimes to unpredictable results. We played a lot of Uno this weekend, and I think I only won two games. Gil won most of them. I'd say good game, Gil, but it's too alliterative, so I'll just say, deal me in. So, was it Gil who was coming up with the Wild House rules, or was it you? No, no, it's the, what she was telling me was actually one of the official rules, but she didn't tell me until she was playing the last card to win the game. So I'm just saying. Oh, was it how you have to say Uno before you? Right. And she hadn't. And I didn't know I could call her on that anyway. Oh yeah, dude. That's why they call it Uno. That's literally like one of the key features of the game. So I kept saying Uno when I was down to one card, but I didn't know that there was a penalty if you don't. And I didn't know that you can call someone for not saying it. And Gil won. It, you know what? I'm getting angry just talking about this. Let's move on to the emotional one. <laughs> All right. You know what? Let's, let's move on to greener pastures here. This week, our emotional weather is natty, ratty, and batty. All right. For my natty weather, lads, I've been saying it for years Every summer I say that it is time for me to throw off the shackles of Western Sartorial Convention and start wearing skirts. And this is the year that I actually am going to do it. The reason is I don't have a job anymore. So I don't have to win a Supreme Court case to wear what I want to wear. Now, in 2019, GQ predicted that 2019 would be the year that men started wearing skirts. Now, that's stupid because for some reason... If your short pants don't have a crotch in them and you have a beard, you can be beaten up for it. Mm-hmm. But So that's, you know, that's still a cultural force, but I live and work alone. I don't participate in society. It's 95 goddamn degrees fucking Fahrenheit right now. My boys need the breeze. So it's skirt boy season. Yeah, skirt boy summer. I'm going to get myself some it. skirts too, because, uh, you know, we're trying to procreate. And that'll, uh, that'll give some good airflow to the swimmers. See, that's exactly right. I'm sure that your doctor has told you, you got to keep your boys cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, well, let's, uh, while you're sporting your skirt, let's get into my natty story. I'd like to curb the present habit of referring to every brimmed hat you see as a fedora. 
The fedora is a very popular hat, or was once. It's a brimmed hat with a band and has a pinched indented crown, most often made of felt. However, the brim on a fedora is relatively wide, two and a half inches or more. What is most often confused with the fedora is the trilby, another popular hat of yesteryear which has a stingy brim, typically an inch and a half or less, and a similar shape to the fedora. The trilby usually has a sharp upturn at the rear, but the brim width is the dead giveaway. Look, I don't expect people to know all of the hats. I don't get bent out of shape when I hear a boater called a pork pie or a newsboy called a flat cap, but these two are pretty basic and much more common hats and you should at least know the difference. It's just a pet peeve. Now, Gene, I have a, a question for you, asked in good faith. I am not making fun of you. How many hat conversations are you engaged in, would you say, in the average month that this is a subject that gets brought up? Well, since I started working from home, it's really just been one in the last year. <laughs> That's true, right? There's... There are no conversations anymore. Right. I, uh, we, we did go to uh, 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 the house of some fellow parents who were all vaccinated and, and one person called a hat a fedora that was not a fedora. Well, you know, and the fact that nobody wears hats anymore, that the only hats that you ever see anymore are baseball caps, which are the worst kind of hat. I, I will correct you on that. I, I wear hats. You do wear hats and you wear a mean hat. You wear the shit out of a hat. Well... I mean, I don't wear a hat every day, but occasionally you just need a hat. You and the other guy that we work with, I think you know the one yeah. who used to wear hats and he was a great hatsman. And he almost always wore a fedora, an actual fedora. Yeah. And he, he legit looked like Indiana Jones in that thing. It was a great look. Well, because Indiana Jones well, wore a fedora. He's still got the hat actually, and he still wears it and still crushes it. Great. Great. Although he's, I'm partial to this gray uh, felt bowler that he has, though. Mm, I love a good bowler. It's it's it, yeah. It's a solid hat. Give me a bowler and a pinstriped waistcoat, and I'm happy. Yeah. I look like a banker in a western, and I'm happy. Yeah, I, I I most often go with a pork pie because it's a nice kind of jazzy looking hat that doesn't. Uh, it's not as formal as a fedora, but also more formal than a baseball cap. So. That's that's the way I usually go, but I you know I wore a boater at my wedding. I've seen pictures of it. It was sharp. I uh, all right onto ratty for my ratty weather. Uh, I want to talk again about one of my favorite people, pretzel person. He helps to keep our house rat free. Uh, when we moved in, it was infested with pack rats, and uh, they've all retreated now to the space under the house because he does regular patrols uh, to ensure that none of them show their little faces around. We're able to keep the house pest-free without traps or poison, and I only occasionally have to pull dead rats out of Pretzel's mouth. I mean, the only thing... It's about as good as you can ask. Right? I mean, is that's like uh, your wedding vows. You were like, listen, you know, we're going to keep the house poison and trap-free, and I'm going to occasionally pull rats out of your mouth. My wedding vows were loaded with puns. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. No, I'm certain of it. Yeah, it would have, would have been a guaranteed ticket to pun jail. But we would have taken you in your, your vehicle with the cans that said just married. and Yeah, we didn't do all that. They would have been like, ah, turn them loose, boys. <laughs> so uh, my ratty story, the Treehouse Humane Society of Chicago is releasing 1,000 feral cats into the wild to help curb an ongoing and growing rat problem in the city. 
The program in which feral cats are spayed or neutered and vaccinated helps cats who do not thrive in shelter or home environments to find an environment in which they can hunt and feed themselves and do public good as well. And apparently it's so popular now, it has a very long wait list for homeowners wanting a cat dropped near their property. Great job, Humane Society. You know, this makes me think about Disneyland. Did you know, Greg Person, that Disneyland actually has kind of an army of feral cats? No, but that's awesome. So, Wait, is it the Aristocats? <laughs> no, no, it is not the Aristocats. So okay. they, they had a really, really bad rat plop problem because there's so much food in that park. And it's stored in bulk. And, you know, that's that's a recipe for rodents getting in. There's lots of nooks and crannies where they can. And so they brought in feral cats who are naturally human shy. So they stay away from the crowds during the day and they go out and hunt at night and keep the park rat free. Genius. I mean, I think that's a great solution. And I also read about this uh, program in Chicago. At first, I wasn't sure because, you know, they were catching these cats and spaying and neutering them and then just turning them loose again. And I thought, well, how many are people going to appreciate all these feral cats in their neighborhood? And it turns out they really do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. These these cats become like neighborhood mascots. We actually have similar programs here in Southern Oregon, believe it or not. Well, any cats that I brought out here would just be food for a coyote. So let's not do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're you're a little more rural. All right. On to Batty. All right. Well, this is uh, an interesting one. Scientists have discovered that bats have an innate, not learned, sense of the speed of sound by putting them in helium-rich atmospheres where sound travels faster because the helium is lighter, which causes the bats to underestimate the distance to their prey. And no matter how long they've been in this helium atmosphere, even if they were born and raised in it, they will always underestimate the distance to their prey. Wow. And their squeaks are hilarious. Well, because they were pretty, they were pretty high and squeaky to begin with. So right. you can imagine super, super duper high and squeaky. Yeah. Interesting. That's really fascinating. Well, I think this is a great example of how cool science can be. Cause you, you have a question about something incredibly specific and you're like, well, how would we test something like that? And you're like, well, let's put the bats in helium. And someone's like, okay, I'm going to go build a helium tank for some bats, BRB. Yeah, wonderful. All right. As a fan of Batman stories, mostly because of the villains, it's been interesting to see all the different takes and turns the character has made. Batman, by his very nature, should be a dark character, but I'm keen to see someone take it in a direction that is less gritty and maybe a little bit less down to earth. While I'm excited about the new film, The Batman, that's coming, it seems like kind of more of the same. If we're going to be changing our Batman, I'd like to also see other interpretations of what that character could be. And for once, I'd like to see a story that actually focuses on Batman as a detective rather than crime fighter. That might need to be a TV series. I think it's a medium most suited to that kind of story, but it's it's something that hasn't been done, at least not well. Well, can I suggest a film to you then, Gene? Sure. 1989, uh, Tim Burton... <laughs> Batman. Of course. I mean, I love that movie, but it, it's still not it's still not a detective story. No, it totally is. There's a whole scene where Bruce Wayne is he's investigating yeah, yeah. the Joker. Okay. It's not and a detective. Figuring story, out where he's gonna strike it's next. It's not. So in that story, Batman is definitely a detective, but it is not a detective story. Uh no, that's true. Well, but it's only the first one. I mean 
if he had made a better movie instead of Batman Returns. <laughs> right. We saw we saw what the sequel effort was. It was not in his vision to go into the detective stories of Batman. I really like your your idea though to do it as kind of a Sherlock Holmes right. mystery. Yeah, I think it would be wonderful. And you could tell the story of the early days of Batman with a little more grounding in reality. You could even do it in kind of a somewhat gritty way. Okay, but also, um, you're familiar with the work of the auteur Joel Schumacher. <laughs> I, I, I feel like those are maybe more... I, You know, as honestly, as you, the years go on, I've reappraised those movies, and they're better than I remember, I think. Have you watched them recently? No, I'm not actually going to watch that. So we tried a while back because we had the same kind of notions to watch Batman forever. I mm-hmm. couldn't sit through it. I got about to the scene where Tommy Lee Jones becomes two-faced because the acid gets thrown and he blocks it with a manila folder. And I just I just had it. I walked out of the room. I wonder, what is, what is somebody like... You know, Tommy Lee Jones, what does he think about being the the cartoony Batman villain? I don't know. I don't know. Is that like a fun vacation for him or does he feel like he's just in it for a paycheck? And you know, you want to talk pun jail? Batman and Robin was an exercise in pun crime. Well, it's because they had Arnie doing the Mr. Freeze stuff. Well, not just that, but my God, the puns were atrocious. Ice to meet you. Sure, nice to meet you. Sure, he's a cool customer. Chill out, Batman. He probably said that one at some point. <laughs> okay, and that one was Batman Forever, right? Yeah, it was written. Or was that? No, it's Batman and Robin. It was written by Akiva J. Goldsman. Oh, who's actually written good movies? Oh wow, yeah, it- interesting. Well, but you know. It's entirely possible that the studio inserted someone to polish his script and and punch or that it. Schumacher had some ideas. I think I I've seen I, I read an interview with Schumacher where he was talking about wanting to take it in a darker direction, but the studio kept pushing for the more comic booky you know take on it. And he I mean he didn't have it wasn't as dark as the Burton version, mm-hmm. but. It, it wasn't what came out in the final product. He is probably responsible for the nipples and the butt, butt shots and all that. Is it too late to get Adam West to reprise the role of Batman? Adam West is dead. Yeah, but Laurence Olivier was in Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Yeah. We can, you know, Tupac was performing at Madison Square Garden like a month ago. I don't want to see Adam West as Batman anymore. There's plenty of footage of Adam West as Batman. And don't get me wrong, I love Adam West's Batman for, while I was growing up, that was some of the only Batman I got to see until, you know, 1989. That was Batman until Batman came out. Right. But I want to see, I want to see an entirely new take on Batman. I want to see Batman, I want to see a much older Batman. I want to see, I want to see someone like... I don't know. Well, just have George Clooney do it again. No. Come on. He's so good. 
He's so good. He's not good as Batman. He, he's not. He's not good as Batman, but. and he's not good as Bruce Wayne. Neither was Val Kilmer, honestly. He wasn't very good in, in either of those roles. You know who was a really good Batman was, uh, was Michael Keaton, which is kind of a surprise because he was such a comic actor up until that point, but he was fantastic as Batman and as Bruce Wayne. See, that's why that movie is still the best movie, though, because that's the only one in which Bruce Wayne is a real character. Right. Christian Bale was not a great Batman, nor a great uh, Bruce Wayne, in my opinion. You know who? uh, I mean, he's obviously he's not that kind of actor necessarily, but Kevin Conroy is my favorite Batman. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Batman, the animated series you kids out there, you under 40s out there, you probably don't remember that there was a Batman cartoon show that was on Fox mm-hmm. that was better than any Batman film that's ever been made. You know who actually did surprisingly well as Batman? Ben Affleck. I thought it was, I I thought it was all right. I can't speak to that. I didn't see any of those movies. Yeah, he was all right. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't ideal, but it wasn't it wasn't as it, he didn't do the cookie monster voice that Christian Bale did. Well, the last uh, superhero movie that I watched was uh, guardians of the galaxy two, which was like five years ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, you know me, I'm a superheroes guy. I, 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 I am fully aware that what I'm watching is, is propaganda in one way or another, but I, I still just keep popping the popcorn in my mouth or except I don't like popcorn. So, yeah, I don't particularly like any of them except I like the uh, I like the idea of the DC ones more because they seem goofier and like they're not trying to recruit you to the CIA. Right, right. And I I get that. All right, I think we've gone far enough into the emotional weather. Uh, as you know, every week our investigative team uncovers a detailed and harrowing story on food crime. This week, Greg Person has the story, folks. I love a good hot sauce. You know I do. But what I hate, what all sensible, decent people hate, is the marketing and culture that surrounds hot sauce. It's like every bottle is a Big Johnson shirt for your food. Oh my god, Big Johnson. Remember those? I do. I do. Yeah, those those were the star attraction at the mall when I was a kid. Like... You would go to that one kiosk just to see where they had printed a shirt that was clearly talking about a guy's penis. <laughs> right. So we had the no fear era. And then in the wake of that came Big Johnson. Right. And then after that, I feel like was the big dog era where it was just like, OK, we're just making shirts for fat guys about Osama bin Laden now about how much you would fucking beat up Osama bin Laden. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but. Here's the thing. This is this is all part of it. Big Johnson, hot sauce labels. It's about you know what uh, we sissy cucks, uh, we lefties and liberals call toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about the evils of toxic masculinity, the one thing we don't really talk about is how stupid the marketing for it is. Sure. And that's because being stupid and gross is a big part of the brand of the toxic dude. So, you know, anyone who would buy a bottle of anal angst or ass reaper hot sauce, both of which are real, by the way, those are real (laughs) hot sauce brands that you can buy if you're an idiot. 
And and that's not those aren't the only ones. There are hundreds oh, of hot sauces sure. with labels and names just like that. Even the creators of the Carolina Reaper, uh, the probably I would say the most celebrated folks in pepper culture, hot sauce culture. Uh, they're the Pucker Butt Pepper Company. Of course. So that's it's everywhere. It's everybody. And you know, it's just another one of those reasons that I feel like the whole world has become a slobs versus snobs eighties comedy. And if unless you're being as crass and offensive as possible, you're a cuck. And the worst part for me is that these sauces, they're never even good because they're not designed to have a flavor. They're just trying to pack as many Scoville units as possible just so that you can have your ass reaped. And we're going to just completely leave aside the implications of that. We're not going to talk about it. Because the thing is, these aren't even designed to actually be eaten. They're just meant to be displayed on your table to see if your dinner guests get triggered. It's a cuck detector. So anyone you know that has any class or taste that hasn't been alienated by your Facebook posts will see your hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, so... But oh, I was going to say, as an aside... Um, as I was uh, looking into the food crime, after I had written this segment, uh, after I'd written my screed against hot sauce labels, I saw an article in Food and Wine magazine uh, written by Rax King, uh, who I used to follow on Twitter before I quit Twitter because it's a hellscape mind prison. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she had also written an article about uh, hot sauce marketing. And I wondered, and this was like, you know, hers was like a week and a half before I thought of doing mine. Uh, in, in terms of the, the toxic masculine marketing, one needn't look farther really than, you know, the Frito-Lay, Pepsi, and uh, Taco Bell commercials of the 90s and early 2000s, man. What a hellscape that was. You know, the ones that I always thought were, and these have kind of gone down in history as, as dumb marketing. Do you remember the the Carl's Jr. ads? Where... Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm -hmm. That apparently was, and I'm I'm gonna misremember the story, which I used to know in more detail, but I'm gonna misremember it here. It was like the son of the CEO of Carl's Jr. had this idea for a brilliant ad campaign, so his dad just let him do whatever. <laughs> <Okay>. So <laughs> the concept he turned in was hot girl on a car eats a sloppy burger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was like the eternal shame of Carl's Jr. until the end of time. And that would be Carl the third, I guess. <laughs> of the dynastic Carl's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Onto the podcast shopping network this week, the waving flag. It happens to all of us. You have a successful business interaction and hang up the phone look up at your desk and feel a sudden fit of panic. Am I still in America? Was I suddenly teleported to the Antarctic? Or Colombia? Or even worse, the UK? Gasp! Breathe easy, citizen. We've got a solution to your concerns. It's called the Waving Flag, and it's a 14-inch pole with a small American flag that sits on your desk and waves, and I'm quoting here, realistically. <laughs> <laughs> scared that it's not enough to prove your undying devotion to the United States of America. I mean, I understand your concerns. You listen to Lee Greenwood and you only eat freedom fries. 
But anyone can claim to appreciate the USA. You really want to wow everyone with your affection for this country. Well, we've taken care of that concern too. The waving flag will proudly play your choice of either the Star Spangled Banner or My Country Tis of Thee. So nobody can ever doubt the fact that they're in the presence of a patriot. One who gets misty-eyed when he thinks about America's legacy of entirely positive stuff and who would gladly resurrect Rush Limbaugh if it meant he could give that man the best goddamned Christian conservative red, white, and blow job he's ever had. The Waving Flag retails for $19.95 plus $7.95 shipping and handling. Fun fact, the average American would need to work for two hours to purchase the Waving Flag. Three if you count the cost of shipping. Just saying. How many hours do you think the Chinese guy who actually made the uh, Waving Flag <laughs> Would have to work to buy one. I have no idea, but I imagine it's a lot more than three. Now, 14 inches, that's a good size for a flagpole. I'm happy about that. Yeah, I feel like 14 inches is is, is more flagpole than I can take. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, I've not looked at pictures of this flagpole. Does the flagpole stand proud? It, it stands pretty proud. And is it difficult to raise the flag up to the top of the flagpole, or does it happen? <laughs> the flag always without too all, much. The flag is always at the top of the flagpole. Okay, so it doesn't require a lot of intervention or time or like any kind of medical. No, not apparatus. No, not at all. Okay, okay. Well, that's good. That makes me feel somehow good about myself. Okay. In a way that that I wasn't uh, great. I'm not sure where that comes from. Maybe just the the side of that that great big fourteen inch flagpole standing proud with no problem raising that flag to the top. Sure. It just makes me feel less insecure. Yeah, I don't know what I would yeah. have to be insecure about, but yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Great, great. All right, let's move on to state up. This week, the state of Iowa is next in our our alphabetical run of the states. Here's a fact. Woolly mammoth bones are plentiful in the state of Iowa, making it the most likely victor in the race to create mammoth soup. Oh, God, give me that Flintstone soup. I want it. Well, here's a fun fact. Famed singer-songwriter Randy Newman is not from Iowa. Oh, good to know. Good to know. Iowa is also responsible for the origin of the Red Delicious Apple, the most inappropriately named bland garbage apple in the history of produce. Well, I'll say one thing for the red delicious apple. It's red. <laughs> yeah, well, they got that going for them. In Iowa, taco salad comes with ranch dressing. This is not a joke. This is a thing that happened to me, and it's one of the worst things that has ever happened to me. Oh, that's just terrible. Iowa is not a primary state. They caucus which seems highly appropriate since the population of Iowa is mostly Caucasian. Uh, now, Gene, is it a big caucus? <laughs> I don't think it's that big. It's not a very populous state. Well, do they do they stand proudly for their candidates? I mean, they hold their caucus every, every presidential election. Man, if I could get away with holding my caucus once every four years, I'd probably get a lot more done. Yeah, you the know what I mean? The important thing is that you don't manipulate the caucus. 
Oh, see, that's where that's where Pete Buttigieg fucked up. Yeah, he played with the caucus too much, right? And that's why they did they did that little thing with the lights out, that little publicity stunt where everybody held up their phones. Yeah, it's because he'd gone blind from playing with the caucus too much. Yeah, he he caucus blocked himself. <laughs> Word. Although the identity of the man who named Iowa is lost to history, experts agree that his mouth was definitely full of peanut butter at the time. <laughs> All right, our final segment tonight, as every week, is Person to Person and Person, where we share your valuable feedback with our audience. I am finally opening things up. Friends and family have at it. Send us a subject of your choice, and we'll write a haiku and a limerick about it. This may come off as desperate, but honestly, we're going to make this show whether we have two listeners or two thousands. And it seems silly to just uh, eliminate a large portion of our listener base just because we know them. The haikus just keep us entertaining, give us a little extra challenge each week, and I'd like to keep that going. In the meantime, a roller coaster haiku. On Desperado, over a mile of steel, and George lost his wallet. That haiku is about Desperado in Stateline, Nevada, where my brother George actually lost his wallet. So do you have any topics you'd like us to write a haiku about? Send them our way. Folks, that is all the show we have for you tonight. We love your feedback, and there are so many ways to give it to us. Send us an email, show at gmail.com. Drop us a voicemail, 541-249-5933. Find us on Twitter, at AnchorPersons, and uh, check out our website, personandpersonshow.com. Until next time, this is Gene Person saying you should always end a comedy set with a callback. And this is Greg Person saying, Caucus. Good night. get a fast motorcycle that's a caucus rocket well you know the thing is about the uh, nevada caucus what we learned with the uh, sanders victory in nevada mm. is that it's not about the size of the caucus right right it is sort of how you use it in nevada they know a lot about caucus because you know of the legalized prostitution and all that indeed indeed well you know a lot of people say they like a big caucus i prefer one that is a little more manageable yeah i like a moderate sized caucus um, because the thing is you know when you have a huge caucus and a bunch of people show up you're asking where am i even going to put this caucus right where's it going to fit right and how much work is it going to take to get that caucus up and running right that's that's the other thing and then you know how do you <laughs> how do you buy pants for it <laughs>